We are in uh, Romans 8, 18 through 27. Romans 8, 18 through 27. Let me read our little uh, statement about Romans 8 from Stephen McCall. I told you I was going to read this every week, and so I'm, I'm going to do it. He says here, I've come to Romans 8 again and again when I've been discouraged or depressed. I don't see how you can read Romans 8 and remain down. If you struggle with guilt, read Romans 8. If you struggle with sin, read Romans 8. If you go through trials, read Romans 8. If you don't know how to pray, read Romans 8. We're going to cover a little bit of that today, man. I tell you, it's good stuff. If you're struggling with assurance or salvation, assurance of salvation, read Romans 8. And I jot them on the board, and I'm just going to leave them up there and add to them every week. Uh, some key points from each lesson that I thought was key. Uh, week one, you remember week, Romans 8 1, for there is now no uh, condemnation for those who love the Lord. Remember the law of the Spirit versus the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit conquers sin and death every time. Every time. Number two, second week, uh, set my mind, predetermined. Remember what I'm talking about? Number three, put to death the deeds of the body. Did anybody struggle with that this week? Because I, I struggled with it. You remember last week I told you about digging that snake out of the pool and uh, shooting his head off out there with that little 20 gauge? And uh, bless his heart, nothing. I didn't ask him to get in my pool. That was, that was his choice. He just he reaped what he decided to do. Now, he don't have a head. I can tell you that. <laughs> he, he comes back up there, he won't have another. Uh, I just struggled putting that to death. And I should have rode out here today. Right out there today. David put me to death. You all say if you breathe. Pardon? If you breathe, you're doing, yeah. I'm doing that. Yeah, I, I mean, it is an everyday, all day situation for me. The good news for a Christian is <clears throat> the whole week one. Yeah. <laughs> is that the good news? Well, Ain't you glad about that, though? Yes. Go ahead, Stephen. Well, I'm just going to say the Holy Spirit won't leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And that's a good that, news. That is a wonderful thing. And if you struggle with salvation, <laughs> That is a telltale sign that you're saved. Never doubt that. That if you if you're convicted about the stupidity and the sin that you do, you, you think just think about it. If you're unsaved, Satan's not going to condemn you for being an idiot, right? He's on. He's got you on your side. He's patting you on the butt, and encouraging you. You know, hey man, you're doing a good job. All right, you remember the last thing I jotted down here is we get to call God Abba Father, which also means daddy. The most tender, intimate thing that you can call your father is Abba Father. This week's lesson is called Groaning in Glory. Uh, Let me read this. Let me go to the back of the the lesson here because I thought this was pretty good for right now before we get to it. The the word groan appears nine times in the Bible. Nine times, and one-third of them is in this passage we're going to read today, 18 through 27. Nine times, and a third of them is in this passage. And that's really 
the uh, outline for the last uh, the groaning of creation, the groaning of the Christian, and the groaning of the comfort. And then we have a little bit of con- conclusion to Romans 8, 27. Let me read what Jeremiah writes right here. I think this is outstanding. Romans 8, 20, uh, 8, 8, 18 through 27 contains the most concentrated use of the word groaning in God's word. But it is also interesting to look at the other places where there, where it is found in Scripture. In the books Exodus of Exodus and Judges, God hears the groanings of the children of Israel and is moved to act on their behalf. Exodus 2.24, Exodus 6.6, and Judges 2.18. Both Job and David used the word groaning to describe their physical and mental anguish that they were experiencing. Job 3.24 and Job 23.2. Psalm 6.6 and Psalm 32.3. And in John eleven thirty eight, 38, <coughs> Jesus himself groans as he approaches the tomb of his friend Lazarus. So that's all of them. I just thought, man, you're talking about some top-notch dudes. Joe, David, John, Jesus, they all groan. I just thought that was interesting to throw in at that point in time. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been anywhere that after an extended time, you longed to be home? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was hoping Rodney would be here. You know, he was in Vietnam. Four two. Four? Wow. Four years in Vietnam. Yeah. You know. One of the longest time I've ever spent in my life. I've ever been John David was in New York playing baseball. He's between his sophomore, his junior and senior year. And uh, me and him drove up there. We drove up there um, the day after Hogan graduated. It was in May. And he came home at the end of July, the 23rd or 24th, 22nd, 23rd, 24th. He was ready to come home, and I was ready for him to come home. I spent $500 to fly up to Columbus, Columbus, Ohio, just to ride with him. I was ready for him to come home that much. Well, that was a basic training. I don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> John David was ready to go. But at the end, he told me, and the reason he didn't have to stay an extra week was they got beat on that Sunday afternoon. I don't even know if you remember. But he sent me a text message before the game, and you know, I we Alison, I was sitting. I, I had to get a flight like at eight o'clock for like five thirty the next morning in Huntsville. And uh, I need somebody to hold that for you, man. <laughs> I told you, you can't take it. You need somebody to pick it up for it. Well, he throws it down every week. You must hate it. Hold his hand. Put some dang uh, Velcro. I'm sorry. And. Uh, he sent me a text message. They had to get beat on Sunday not to make the playoff. He sent me a text message. He said, is it wrong to wish to get beat? Because <laughs> he was ready to come home. Me and his mother was ready for him to come home. Yeah. He didn't throw it. He wasn't shoot us joke. We didn't do the field of dreams. <laughs> uh, we were just ready for him to come home, man. It's been about nine, ten weeks. I've never been away from home. Uh, but, you know. I went out in the desert for 110 days, and I'm sure was glad for her to get home. Exactly. 
Describe the feeling of longing. When you long for something. I'm talking about, I would play, you know what I'd play? Leonard Skinner's coming home. Y'all are listening to song, one of my favorite Skinner songs. And it just talks about, hey, I'm ready to come home. If you listen to Skinner's music, you know, which I, I, I fancy myself a connoisseur, you listen to some of the lyrics. They write pretty good lyrics. Longing. Long. <laughs> when I lost uh, my dad, he was uh, highly decorated in World War II. Two weeks after he got home, he was in a car wreck and lost his oh. left arm. Yeah. But he was in the Rangers and whatever. And uh, after he died, and I know all y'all got the same feeling, you wish you'd tape recorded uh, some of those uh, things and, and listen to the Iraq. How did you get in the military? How did you do this? You know, there, there's a longing that uh, you can't reach in there and pull out. I don't think you ever get out of it. I don't need uh, I would, I, I, and I've told my to, I, I really like to talk to my daddy every now and then. Yeah. You know, just. <clears throat> Before his mind went bad, you know this, that, and the other. When he was, when he was my daddy, you know, like I'm, you know what I'm saying. I really would like to talk to, him, you know, hey, daddy, how do you, how do you handle this, man? What did you do about this? You know, uh, just, you know, you just, you long. The day my brother stopped by over there was uh, September the 9th, which was Thursday. Didn't even think about. it. I knew it was, but that was his son's birthday. And his son got killed. His only child got killed out on River Road six years ago. And I actually stopped by. They saw me. He stopped over. We talked 30 minutes. Man, I enjoyed the heck. We just don't do that. I long to talk to my dad gum brother. You know, we don't get to do that much. Uh, he's busy. I'm busy. And, you know, you just, uh, but I know, I know he longs to see Evan again. You know, I know he does. He can't help not long. Listen to this. I, this is kind of funny, but the last paragraph. This is author Paul, Paul Tripp. Captures my thoughts. This is Jeremiah speaking right here. Then it's about two, three, a short paragraph <clears throat> about long. Arthur Paul Tripp captures my thoughts precisely when he wrote these words about camping. I am persuaded that the whole purpose of camping is to make a person long for home. On that first day in the woods, putting up the tent is exciting. But three days later, your tent has unpleasant odors you can't explain. You love the taste of food cooked over an open flame, but three days later, you're tired of forms of wood and irritated how fast it burns. Now, four days in and your back hurts, there seems to be no more uh, failed wood to forage, and, you, and you're tired of keeping the fire going on anyway. Suddenly, you begin to think fondly of home. You stand there hoping that someone will break the silence and say, why don't we go home? Your four days in the wilderness have accomplished their mission. They have prepared you to anticipate home. Here's the key. Our world isn't a very, is a, isn't a very good amusement park. No, it's a broken place groaning for redemption. Here, it's meant to make us long for forever. Here is meant to prepare us for eternity. And we laugh a little bit and snicker about camping. 
But when you think about here, you know, it's just crazy. We celebrated, it's hard to believe it's been 20 years yesterday. You know, see how Afghanistan a couple, three or four weeks ago, whenever that was, 13 guys, Vietnam, you know, Cambodia, you know, all those, World War II, you know, those things make you realize that this world is not really where we need to be, where we want to be. It, uh, it makes us, well, let me ask you, does this world make you long for heaven? You know, I have to pray and confess sometimes that I love this world too much. You know, I mean, when I was sick, I mean, I wasn't dying. But I didn't know. You know, I, every time I look on the news, somebody's died of this thing. You know, and I'm thinking, you know, when you don't wake up for three days and you don't eat for four or five days, you think, hey, man, is this what death looks like? You know, and I'm like, and I almost brought my little speaker and played y'all my my music. Mouse, yeah, I also just say, I listened some of it this morning, man. Y'all love it. It's hymns. I don't know if all everybody here, you young guys, hymns what we used to play in church. Oh, yeah, come thou fount of every blessing, just as I am. You know, that's what we do. Blessed is sure. Yeah, we what? Blessed is sure. Yeah, we got it, man. We all got our favorite, right? Uh, but uh, you know that just, but you know, you just didn't know this that when those trials come, don't you long for something better? When those tribulations, you know, uh, look at verse eighteen. How can Paul make this statement? In verse eighteen. This this is kind of flying solo. Then we're gonna get into the ground. Okay. Verse 18, I got this. I've had this underlined in my Bible for a prayer. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. How, how can Paul make that kind of statement? And I jotted down here, the older I get, the more I hold on to this verse. When I was John David's age, I didn't consider it much, you know. I was 24, stupid. Yeah. You know, my, the famous lady words, hey, watch this, didn't apply. You know, we do stupid stuff. Just this thought it was fun. Paul you know, had met Jesus. He met him on the road to Damascus. But how can you say that the sufferings, and I, I, and I don't know if I, this is my little list of sufferings, okay? I was 11, my granddaddy died. In 81, my daddy went out running one morning before he went to Ford to work motor company, not the dealership. He got run over by a truck. In 87, my brother's best friend and Bevin's best friend made a decision to take his life. That's when Romans 8 got Because Brother Larry preached at the end here about Romans 8, and that's why it's been my favorite verse ever since. It's four miscarriages. Two before John David, two after John David, between John David and Hogan. Uh, of course, my grandmother died, my grandma died. I watched my grand, my father-in-law die of cancer. I was in the room when he breathed his last. My nephew got killed right out here on River Road, and uh, my daddy died. Parkinson's. So watched him, watched him, whittled down to nothing. 
That's my little list. All right, everybody's got their list, okay? I just don't, that's what I think are the worst things I've ever had to experience in my life. And I am probably leaving something out. Now, we're not talking about disappointments. All right? We're talking about tragedies, hardships, with a capital H, capital A, capital R, capital D, hardships. How can you, how can Paul say those things don't compare to glory? How can he do that? Think about your little list. How can he say that? I don't know, Tom. Thank you. It goes beyond faith. He really faith. It's faith. faith. Well, he might go back to what Steve said. He saw Jesus. He saw Jesus after he died and was resurrected. Jesus came and found. Well, didn't angels come to him? Did he not? He got to see the thorn in the flesh came from him getting to see glory. If you'll remember, he got to physically, mentally, I think physically, I don't know if he went to heaven and he came back, but that was why he got the thorn in the flesh. So he got to see what, what he's talking about here in the future. But how can we? I haven't seen heaven. Have y'all seen anybody been to heaven yet? I'm just asking. But to, but to clarify, we think we might, we might have yeah. that. I'm not talking about, you know, a lot. I'm talking about a head. <laughs> how, how can we hold on to this verse? And, 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 and my little list, your list of tragedies, <laughs> tragedies, hardships, how can we hold on to that until we get there? And how, how does Paul say, this stuff, your little list, Israel, won't compare to that. You ever thought about that? Well, maybe think about it. Enough. I think you're right, Ken. I, I think can't you're comprehend right. it. Yeah, I think a lot about it. I really have any tiny time in this world. Is just you know what the Bible says? It's a vapor. Yeah. I'm 56, we, dude. It's a vapor. We don't understand. It's just, I, yeah, I. The older, the older I get, that's why I put out here. Uh, the older I get, this I, I hold on to this verse more because the more of a vapor it is. You know, I told Allison the other day, she said something. She said, well, when our grandkids get to the, I said, you know, when our grandkids are 20, I'll be 76. If they make it, if, I, if I'm alive when they get to 30, I'll be 86. I don't know, you know, I'm in 86. Anybody in here 86? Is Ron in here? I was 80. I bet he is 80. That's a long life. Well, no, he don't. Him and Clint Eastwood, you know, he's got a new movie. But, uh, you know, that, and who knows what the hardships is, Annie and little britches that John Davis got come along. Who knows what they'll have to face. Because this world, let me tell you something, dude, she's crazy. This world's crazy is run over dog. All right, let's look at this. I jotted down, how do you explain that verse to a non-Christian? What about that? I don't know that you really can. You have to allow the Spirit 
to get them. Even a new Christian. You know, you see these guys that become these guys. When I say guys, generic boys, men or women, boys or girls. And then two, three weeks after, a tragedy happens. They don't get a prayer answer where they want it or something. And you just worry that they'll fold the tent and quit them. You know. Look at Roman number one here. The groaning of creation. Verses 22 through uh, 19 through 22. Let's read those. The groaning of creation. There's three groanings here. We didn't talk about creation, uh, the Holy Spirit, and the Christian. That's creation, the Christian, and the Spirit. Verse 19 says, For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Key word. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains until now. What the heck is Paul talking about? Why would creation, why does he say creation groans now? Can you talk some more about that or anybody else? What? Well, let's just go back. How did God create the world? Not, hey, man, it was created seven days. I'm not talking about that. Why? How did he create it to function? Perfectly? Is it perfect today? Is it? It's pretty nice at times. Especially where I live, man. I told you, I told Steve, Tommy, and Stan standing over. I woke up. I woke. I wake up every morning about three thirty. For why I do not know. But I, you know, it's not so bad in June because it's getting daylight about fifteen to five. You can go outside, man, to see the sunset rise. I love the sunrise. I love the sunset. That just makes my day. I'm not a tree hugger, uh, not at all. But I just, it's just, it's just amazing how pretty. It is. And can you imagine it's not what God created? Can you imagine that? Does that blow your mind a little bit? What else? Let me read this. The whole process of creation, this is Jeremiah, David Jeremiah. The whole process of creation groaning started back in the Garden of Eden when Adam fell. The entire world suffered the results of the fall. The world which we now live in is under the curse of sin. The actual earth now, not just man, but the actual earth. The sin of man also affected the lower orders of creation. He's talking about the animals. He's talking about the plants. He's talking about, you talking about plants? What if it don't rain? Stuff dies. I remember when my father-in-law used to plant cotton out in my house. Back before, cotton was not every other every year. Cotton was every year my whole life until about 15 years ago. If we went through a stretch, I'd go down my driveway, be cotton right here, cotton right here. I mean, in my driveway, except for the gravel. And we'd go down the driveway and go back up there to the house. And if it was August and it hadn't rained, 
that cotton would be just limp. You leave in the morning after the sun had gone, been down for eight or ten hours. That cotton would be alive. And I asked him one day, I said, Mr. Underwood, why is it like limp and everything? It's just drinking more than it can get in the afternoon. And it's just, it gets more moisture at night. What I'm saying is the sun is draining it faster than it can get it consumed, the plant. So it'd be limp. In a perfect world, that don't happen. You know, a perfect world, you get two bells an acre. That kind of stuff gets you a half a bell acre. You know, I don't know how many bushels come we're supposed to get. Never mind, no, I don't have a clue. Uh, I didn't have those questions to ask. He said, the world in which we now is under the curse. The, cur- the sin of man also affected the lower creation. Everything points to the fact that the present state of the universe is not what God fully intended it to be. Everything points to the fact that the present state of the universe is not what God fully intended it to be. How do we know that? I don't know if you believe that. I don't know if I believe that. Well, if God spoke in the, in the bend, he knew what he was doing. He did, but he created it perfectly. He did. Sin corrupted it. Adam, Adam's sin, David's sin, the thing that I don't put to death, deeds of the body daily. You know, I see what you're saying, though. God laid it out. He knew. Steve talked about that one. Do you remember that tough question? You know what I'm talking about? That's the biggest thing that I can't. Some of these guys wasn't there that day. Would you explain what you were, you mean you were talking about? I think it was up here, wasn't it? When uh, God didn't, knowing everything, why he didn't start over again. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Well, he did once. He did with uh, he cleaned it up with Noah. He did. He cleaned it up, and you think about it, he'll do it again too. But you know when man, his master plan is too deep for for well, and we can't. I, all I can give is a human answer, and that's not it. Oh, yeah. when, when he created the devil, had to be cast out of there. That's what he's going to start fresh again. Don't forget. You can tell me something, but I've got to experience it. So that's two different things. God's letting us experience it. We've got to go through it. You know, you know what I'm talking about is this thousand-year run. You know, at the end of the thousand-year reign, the enemy is turned loose. Y'all know that, right? He's let out. Why in the world would he let the enemy out after a thousand years of reign? Here on earth that we get to hang out with and we get to rank. What what is God doing by allowing the enemy Satan out at after the end of a thousand years? He's proven that these kids born during that thousand years are evil, sinful. That even when you live in a perfect world like Adam and Eve, everything's perfect, our fleshly sin. Can't stand it. Our free will. Our free will makes that decision to be stupid and sinful. And then and then he will bound him up and cast him into the lake of fire for eternity. We might go back. That might be what we do next. Oh, yeah. 
So Steve's question was, why, I, I think, why allow Hitler to be born? If you, if, you know, y'all ever wonder those things? I do. Sure. But it goes back to what Steve said. My simple mind. And it may be pertaining to verse 28, which is one lesson. Look at verse 28. Y'all should know that. For all things work to the good of the glory of God. And I mean, I, we're going to have some showing us discussions next week. How does Eddie's death work to the glory of God? How does Jesus' death work to the glory of God? How did the adversity that I have, my little list, how did that work for the glory of God? Think about that. That's what we'll talk about next week. Let's keep going. Uh, <clears throat> let me read the bottom of, uh, yeah. The hope for a better creation has been with the people of God from the beginning. Isaiah, the prophet, speaking on behalf of the Lord. This is what he said. In uh, Isaiah 35, one says, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Think about that. Later on, Isaiah says, in Isaiah 55, 12, says, For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace, and the mountains and the hills shall break into forth into singing before you, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Does that kind of blow your mind? Isaiah says this is what's going to happen in the perfect creation. The agony of what we've been through will one day be translated into ecstasy of what God has for us. The agony of what we've been through, whatever my your little list is, like my little list, starting at age 11, up to, to today, right? That's when my little list started. I was cognizant enough that in 1976, first month of January of 77, when my granddaddy died, I, I realized I was old enough to understand that, and I don't know about this one, okay? That was my little list. The agony of what we've been through will one day be translated into ecstasy of what God has for us. He says here, Jeremiah says, in the meantime, we wait. We're not home yet. You know, all those folks that have died, I talk about. What does the Bible say in Revelation? At the rapture. Shreve's talking about that right now. I'll get to meet not only Jesus, but my father-in-law. And I'm going down the order. My granddaddy, my father-in-law. A daddy. Your other babies. Four of mine never met. I don't know if they're boys or girls. I told you, you know, when Annie was going, I thought, how the heck did I deal with a girl? I don't have a girl. I got two boys. We wrestle. We slap each other upside the head. We're rough. What do you do with girls? I don't know if I got boys or girls. That's going to be pretty. My daddy's already met them. My father-in-law's already met them. And their first cousin is already met them. My grandmother, my grandma, and my granddad. My granddad was there waiting on me. Yeah, he was waiting. Grandmother, grandmother and grandma were They were alive. Hogan and John W. got submitted. But they, they've already met them. I've got four. I ain't never laid out. Gonna be kind of cool. Gonna be kind of cool. All right, second groaning. The groaning of the, of the Christian. Look at verse 23. 
Not only that, not only the creation growing, because it wants to be perfect again. All right, creation wants to be perfect again. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Why would Paul tell us that Christians groan? <clears throat> you groan? So we can relate to it. To let you know that that's, that when you, that's, I understand this is, we're wishing that we could do right. We're wishing that we could quit having to fight sin every oh, day. Oh, God, right? how bad do I wish number two, number three right here? Isn't that groaning? I, when I, you I say wish that? I never had to fool with that pecker. Isn't that groaning? Don't you? I can't stand having to deal with the deeds of the body. If there was one thing I could change, that would be it. That drives me nuts. Having to deal, having to deal with jealousy or unforgiveness or lust or anger or bitterness. My ABC, one, two, three, every day. I get tired of that. I mean, I really literally get tired of it. If there's 25 or 30 of us in here, we're 100%. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. You cock off a bad word in a conversation and you go, man, why in the world did I even think this? Why did I let something like that come out of my mouth? And then you run around mad at yourself because you let something simple like that happen. And then, you know what? After I thought that and failed, God said, Romans 8 1, dummy, you're just going by, you're your Romans 8 right now. And then I think, well, God, how do you not condemn me, man? Not man to God, but to me. How does God not, not condemn me? What Paul say? We do what we should do, and we don't do. Oh, no, we're gonna get to that in a second. So hold on to that. We don't get to it. It's all relational, just like our, our uh, you know, like John Davis sent you off. I don't know how many times you No, I thump it on my head. We always forgive our kids. You know, Delaney can screw up. I don't know how many times. I love her so unconditionally, and my love to have Delaney is. Not even in the same ballpark. That's what I that's what I told them to. There's nothing they do for me not to love. Now for me not to like everything that's they do. Continues to forgive us when we slip. But it was Kevin, when I when I'm failing in the deeds of the flesh, that that don't come to my mind. And it's good, like you guys said earlier, for conscience. It's good that it's still bothers. It is. Uh, Jeremiah says here. The groaning of the Christians in verse 20. Why would Paul tell us uh, that Christians groan? He's got three negative reasons and three positive reasons. Listen to this. Romans 8, 20. Look back up at Romans 8, 20. The reason here is we groan because of the sin in the world. Let me find it. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Creation was subjected to futility. What does verse 20, uh, 20 talk about? I jotted down here futility. Can anybody define futility for me? Because Paul's got it in verse 20 there. When something's futile, what does that mean? You can't, so trying to do something, you can't do it. Dipping out the plate with a coke can. Something you can't use. There's nothing you can do about it. It's, it's a waste of time for you to deal with. Because it's just nothing. And what he's saying here, it says Christians groan because they we see that futility. Our knowledge leaps exponentially, but our problems grow even faster. Books increase with, but ignorance prevails. 
Boy, being an educator. When you see that, Scott? We got, we got more methods of knowledge and we still got dumb ones. And I mean, when I say dumb ones, ones that don't give a rat time. You think about it. You think, yeah, boy, tell them all. We got more ways to hear the gospel today and we're ignorant about it. You think my daddy would know what a podcast is? You think my granddaddy know what the internet is? And we can get on the podcast, we can get on the internet, oneplace.com, you can find every sermon Charles You can go to In Touch, which is his website, and find anything you want. You can go to David Jeremiah's. You can go to Adrian Rogers. Love worth finding. You can go to Jeff Shreves. You can go to Alistair Beggs. And you can find all the sermons that you can listen to all day, every day, 24 hours a day. And we know less about it today myself. That's pretty bad. Is that not futile? And he keeps going. He said, we, we have a larger harvest, but more hunger. We have more wealth, but more poverty. He, and Jeremiah writes, it's no wonder we groan. True. The second negative, we groan because of the power of sin in our bodies. Trace right there, number three. Romans 7, 24. Here you go, Steve. I told you we'd get to it. If you want to, you flip over it. Romans 7, verse 20, uh, what did I say? 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Let me reread that. Here's Paul. Don't forget what I am doing, verse 15, I don't understand. For what I will to do, I don't practice. But what I hate that I do, that's a whole dissertation right there. And then he gets over here to verse 24. This is the groaning. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Then jump down there to verse 25. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He asked and answered. I asked and answered. Who will deliver me? Who will help me put to death the deeds of the body? Who will help me shoot that snake every day? Every day, every morning. Because if I don't put it to death in the morning, but it's going to be a fight all day. And it's almost like a dying girl fight. It's cat, cat fight. Scratch, claw. I also said something the other day. I said, Man, girls, I've seen a bunch of fights. Girl fights are like night and day, but boy fights. Are they not? Leo, are they not? You know what boys do? Bump chest. Talk about it. You know what girls do? They get dang up easy. I'm telling you, it is on like donkey talk. And it will be hair pulling, weave yanking, pimp slapping. I don't care what it is. It's everything. I never remember a big old girl up there at Lee when I was in school. She done got in trouble on the bus. She'd go by Six three by two forty. Coach Creasy walked her in off the bus. Coach Creasy, much of a boy back in those days. We're talking about 40, 40 years ago. I'm in there with Miss Creasy who signs you in if you're. I might have had to go to the orthodon. I don't know what I was doing. Not the day before I get getting my pass to class. 
Coach Creasy walked in. She said, sit, he said, sit down right there. She said, sit me down. <laughs> <laughs> said, Let me have that. I'm going to go on that. Creasy got a hold of her. I don't know what. I don't know. I'm sure he would have whooped her. Because, I, man, I tell you, he, would, he could throw hay bales like ain't nobody's business. I hauled hay with him. He'd throw them here and hit that wall back there. We was at Cobbard High getting beat the first game I quit in the 10th grade year. He took a 10-gallon cooler and slammed it against the wall back behind Wesley back there. I thought, what the heck is this? I've never been in anything like it. He was intense, and she done pissed him off that morning. <laughs> she set me down. I thought, Listen, I need that pass, man. I got to go. I don't want to be in here when blood's all over. Uh, I mean, notice how Paul puts it. Do we, do you groan when you don't put to die? I just covered it. Number three, third negative. We've grown because of the practice of sin by those around us. And then I jotted down three questions here because we got to get going. Do you groan for our country? Yeah or no? Yes. Now remember, this is number three. The third thing we groan because as Christians, we've grown because of the practice of sin by those around us. Do we groan for our country? Do we groan for our friends? You got friends that struggle with some sin that just they just they just can't. Hogan mentioned last night Josh Hamilton. Y'all remember him? My word, man, that joke could play. Left-handed, big and strong Christian. So come back to them drugs. I don't know whatever happened to him. Divorced his wife. You know. Just you, 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 you hurt for that dude. Do you groan for your family? You got that family member, man, that struggles, that won't straighten up, that won't do right. Everybody in here has got. We groan, man. Three positive reasons. We groan because we have been given the Holy Spirit to guarantee our glory. What what is David David Jeremiah talking? We groan because we have been given the Holy Spirit to guarantee our glory. Why would that make you groan? That longing, that anticipation, listen to what he says. The gift from God, the Holy Spirit at the moment of your conversion is to guarantee that one day you will be fully and finally redeemed. We groan because we won't have to put up with this crap anymore. Put the death date. We done talked about it, man. We'd be glad. I'd be glad when that's over. I'd be glad when that daggone fight's over. Because I'm winded from that fight. Let me keep reading. It says, uh, because the Holy Spirit is the first fruits of which it is uh, to come. We've grown awaiting the fulfillment of that in our lives. We know there is more to come. We are so blessed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. But we know that there is still so much more that God is going to give us. So we groan. We, we're, we're saved. What he's saying is we're saved. But eternity in heaven. Gary and I used to talk all the time. I know you remember. I'm ready for Jesus to come today. And God got on me. He told me one day, he said, you know, if, if I send Jesus back today, there's going to be jokers that ain't going to make it. If he'd have gained my age, 56, Mine and we're all three, me and Brent, Woody's same age. What if he'd gained eight years ago? Would he be lost? Rodney's 80. 
Well, if he gained, came 45 years ago, I'd have been lost because he got saved about 40. Is it all right that I suffered a little bit for what did he get saved? Hindsight, yep. Middle of it, I don't know. But hindsight, yes. That's what he said. Number two, we groan because we look forward to the adoption being final. Positive uh, groans now. We groan because we look forward to our adoption being final. When will this adoption fully take place? When we enter heaven, either through the return or the rapture or through death. There will be no promise of adoption. We've got the promise. We're adopted, but we, we don't fully understand it. And I jotted down, when will this happen? When we move in. It'll be a good day when you move in. When you move into heaven, it'll be a good day. All right, third groan. I'm almost finished, I promise. We groan because we anticipate the redemption of the body. Let me read this. The older I get, this is more relevant too. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 declares, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, of the, for the, Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the work in which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. You older guy, you about ready to get rid of this crap? You about get ready, ready to get rid of one that don't hurt all the time? I can't take a deep breath of that coughing. I'm about ready to get rid of that. You know, that, that one that's, that's, that, that, that don't have the strength it used to. They can't do the things. I would enjoy going out and throwing with John David and Hogan. There ain't nobody, nobody plays ball anymore now. But I'd like to go out and show them that I could throw it a little bit. But I can't. I can't even throw it to Brent now. My elbow hurts so bad. You know, I'd like to show them what a real curveball would be. But I can't. I can't do it anymore. They laugh at me. Brent, you need to tell them I did have a glove at one time. Just when you see both of them say, hey, you know, he owned a pair of gloves, a glove and a pair of spots. Because I played against Brent in high school and against him in college. I've been thinking about this, and I'm going to tell everybody. I pitched a four-hit shutout against Northwest when I was in college. And that joker got two of them. <laughs> I don't, I'll never forgive him for that. He got two of the four. And, uh, yeah, he could play. He was a good player. Uh, but don't ain't you ready to get rid of that body that don't function like you used to? I'm ready to get I, I I would really like to be able to get it further than that. And I can't anymore. That really ticks me off at the golf course. You know, I don't, I'm just bothered. I just, don't you look forward to groan for no more tears, no more death, no more hurts? That's a positive groan. Number three, groaning of the comforter. Look at verses 26 and 27. Groaning of the comforter. My word, man. As my granddaddy would say, this is better than snuff. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we are, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
Now who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. What comes to mind when you read these verses? That the Holy Spirit is praying for your time. What comes to mind? What do you think about it? It's a full-time job. Oh, my word. 24-7? 365? How would you be if he didn't pray for you? Think about that. If this was not the case, how would you be? Lost his goose in the hailstorm? My word, man, he'd be grown and it wouldn't be productive. It wouldn't be anything positive. Really wouldn't even be anything negative. He'd just be groaning for help. All right. Let me read what Jeremiah says. 67. Among the benefits of the adoption into God's family is the special supernatural care that the Holy Spirit brings to us. He is present in our lives in moments of moral, physical, and emotional weakness. He knows that he must approach God on our behalf. He takes our burdens and brings them to the Father. God, I can't get over that, man. That's another reason this is my favorite chapter. Because when I'm idle and when I'm stammering, and when I'm going down that path and I'm refusing to listen to the Spirit, He's praying for me that, hey, throw a roadblock out. Change direction. He's, he's praying that I don't succumb to sin. He's doing more than I am most of the time. 98% of the time, probably. Probably 100% of the time. All right, conclusion. Let me read. I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs Conclusion, this teaches us the priority of hope, this passage. What is hope? Hope is the anticipation of something that has not happened yet. Hope isn't hoping that it may, maybe it will happen. What is the definition of hope? Y'all remember? Expectation. Look it up, dude. I don't care. Tell me. It's not wishful thinking. It's an expectation. Look it up. So we have the expectation. We have the hope. We have an expectation that God would do what he has said he did. Because we know he's not alive. He fulfills everything he says. Has since the beginning of time and will until the for eternity. There's no end of time. True Christianity sets expectations on things which are above, not on things which are on earth. It says we look to the things which are not seen, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. As Christians Steve Wallago says he needs to see things. Did you not just say that? I do too. I really, I, I struggle with that. God says, trust me, dude. He says here in second, we, what did he say? We look at the things which are not seen. That's what we hang our hat on. Because if it ain't for that, now I ain't got nothing to hang my hat on. Pardon my grammar. I, I, I have zero hope, all right? He says, but our success is centered on is, is centered on our hope of a day that is yet to come. Wow, what a day. This teaches us the per perspective of eternity. A couple of sentences here that I'm sure I'll show. You always have to remember this truth. 
we are not home yet. We are headed there, but we still have a way to go. So in anticipation of what God has provided for us, we groan. We look forward to the day uh, when that for which uh, we groan will become the glory of our lives. You know, I've often thought about the second my daddy, when my daddy was laying there dying, you know, he would take a breath and you'd think, was that it? About a minute or two later, he'd bring it up. Then about three or four minutes later, he'd bring it up. And then he finally didn't breathe. Sometime in that last breath to that lady, man, he didn't breathe anymore. And I turned. I was sitting on the bed and he was laying right here. I turned to the nurse who was there from the, what do you call the hospice nurse? I said, I think it was it. Sometime during that, I think it was in that last breath, he got to experience that, that hope. That groaning crap was over for that dude. And he got to experience it. What did, what did Jeremiah call it? Uh, hope of that day, that hope, that expectation. He got to step right there. He laid eyes on Jesus. He laid eyes on my granddaddy and my grandmother. He laid eyes on my father-in-law. Crap, he laid eyes on my neck. His grandboy. All right? Last night. Uh, we look forward to the day when that is, which we grown will become the glory of our life. It will happen before you know it. But in the meantime, stay faithful in the journey, Jeremiah said. Keep following the Lord and doing what he tells you to do. For soon and very soon, there's a hymn. Am I mistaken? It's a hymn. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Amen. Exclamation point. The older I get, that sooner it gets closer. And it might be today. You know, there's no guarantee I'm going to walk out of here and get that Ford out there. That F-150 and make it to the high. Ain't no guarantee. So be prepared. Be prepared. You know, you know, Ray Hester, man, he's crazy and run over dog to six P's, five, I'm going to give you five. Prior planning prevents poor performance. You can throw that other thing in there. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Prep work, man. Be prepared. This is not prepared for any third place. You're standing. You get that ball over in Atlanta when I think Stan might have been there. That 119 mile an hour. Is this prepared? You want 119 mile an hour shot at you like that? You're prepared down here. This is no guarantee 119 won't get you in the nose. You better be, you better be dead young ready. You walk out of here and you better be ready. If you're not ready, see, we'll get ready. We'll get prepared. Does anybody got anything to add or subtract? God, thank you for this stuff. Thank you for the hope that we talked about. God, without that hope, I don't man, I, I, I don't know, God. I, I don't know if we can make it. I don't know how people make it without that hope. I don't know how non-Christians, how do they, how, 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 how do they make it? What do they hang or have? God, thank you for everything that you do for us. God, I, I, I thank you for letting me see Alex. From where he was to now, 
Well, you should, you know, in my opinion, you shouldn't have left the hospital, but you got a plan. You got a plan. You know, and I pray for these others that are sick with that dang virus. You got a press. So I don't know why, but you lay Debbie on my heart. God, this is just mistaken. This is his wife. Yeah. And that awful tennis ringing in her ear. God, I, I got me nuts. God, let's just pray for her. Give some relief, some comfort. God, that's my prayer. I don't want to leave to anybody else's out, God. We, we, you know them. You know them, God, and you're the healer. You, you're the raiser from the dead. That's what you are, God. And God, I pray that you would, you would heal bodies, comfort, and put your arm around them. And God, I thank you for the Holy Spirit we talked about. 26 and 27, I think that prays for us. How wonderful that is. You're praying for all these. You're praying. Your spirit's praying for these. Prayer requests, God, and I thank you for that. God, I thank you for these guys in here, and I appreciate you letting me hang out with them every week, God. It makes my day, I promise. And God, I thank you for Jesus. These sweet, you know, these things we ask in your sweet name. Amen.